0: leftovers season three episode four good day melbourne it's still over but we're just getting started taking your feedback here on the leftovers feedback show on post show recaps hello everybody i am josh wiggler and i am joined here by a man who would never kill a baby even if uh it meant saving the world and freeing cancer from our lives it's antonio mazzaro you're not a baby killer antonio
1: I'm not. People have probably accused me of being that in the past uh, when I was in the more political realm, but I, at this current moment, and never in my life have I been that. No, no. no. How
0: are you doing today, Antonio?
1: I'm doing great, man. Are you I'm recovering? Excited.
0: Are you okay? We've had some distance from this brutal episode. Are you doing all right emotionally?
1: Uh, well, what are the stages? Uh, the the what is the, the the stages of grief here? I think we we have like what anger. I'm probably at bargaining at this. You're point. at
0: bargaining. Yeah, I think yeah. it's uh, it's anger. Denial, Denial become an international assassin
1: <laughs> uh, get all, go off the grid in Australia.
0: Go off the grid in Australia, grow an epic beard. I'm still yeah. in awe of the Justin Thoreau beard. Like to the point where it's like did he ever not have this thing?
1: I don't, I'm, I've been, uh, taking, like, close looks at that beard because I want to model mine after that. I don't know if I can, I can ever aspire to be. I know, Josh, you're a fan of the Neard. I'm not uh, necessarily
0: a fan of it so much as I, mean, I, Sports One. It. It's yeah. all I got. Yeah, I live here now with this, uh, Neard.
1: <laughs> but if you will yourself into being, perhaps uh, maybe. So that's what I'm looking for with uh, with that, Kevin. I, I, I'm i thinking that the beard is the only thing that separates me and Justin Theroux. So I, that I think that
0: that's right. I think that's right. I was going to yeah. make a comment about your uh, your your butts, but uh, I don't want to get into that right now. Let's not do that. Let's not get into yeah. that. Let's get into this episode where we're talking still. I think are we going to talk a lot about this breakup still? I guess we kind of have to. Can we just pretend that it didn't happen?
1: Well, it's funny. I, when we talk about the stages of grief, I do wonder how much we're all in denial because we had a ton of feedback about this episode. I mean, it, and it's great. Dozens and dozens and dozens of emails and comments, but we didn't have a ton about like, what's the future of Kevin and Nora? All right, I think well, that's people- good
0: because didn't we mostly like talk about that already on Sunday night? I feel like we beat that horse to death.
1: Yeah, there are a few. And there are some some intricacies that we can talk about, uh, specifically as pertains to now that Senior is back on the stage with Junior, where does that play in and where does that leave Nora? But generally speaking... I feel like people, it's one of those things, I think, where you probably saw, it was probably hiding in plain sight a lot of the time. Like, we saw Kevin and Nora and thought, oh, they're great. Like, they can say, like, I hire prostitutes to shoot me, or I see Patty Levin. Like, they can say these things to each other. But we didn't really think about how there is this major thing that's happened in Kevin's life that clearly has impacted him significantly, And Nora doesn't even... He's not even talked to her about any of it. Like, when she's quizzing him in this episode about, like, what happens next since you read it? Uh, Oh, he pushes her into the well. Oh, where does Matt come up with this stuff? She's mocking the very thing that happened to Kevin because he hasn't even told her the very basic details of it. So when something that significant is in your life like it is with Kevin and you can't talk about it with your significant other, I just feel like you're doomed from the jump. And that really does seem like where they were. And I don't know that we... Really unpacked that, but now that you look at it from you know from a hundred feet away, it's like, oh yeah, like this was coming a mile away for sure.
0: Yeah. Well, I was so upset about what happened with Kevin and Nora Antonio that I had to flee the country this week. I, had I heard to, about this. I had to leave America. I just had to go somewhere else. I couldn't afford a plane ticket to Australia, so I had to go to Canada instead.
1: Antonio. I heard uh, Oceanic is running some great deals these days. <laughs> well, I don't Australian think I'm flying
0: flights. Oceanic. I don't oh, think that's too bad. You know, I don't. I don't think that i'm gonna do that i just did... saw their
1: logo somewhere earlier this season on the leftovers I
0: can think. i can i uh can i share some something with you something personal yes uh when i fly and i pick my seats i do try to pick a lost number whenever possible is that really really weird
1: so like you want 15 c or 15 an a, fi- b
0: 15 f you know yeah. uh 23 uh, a i guess would be you would think that's the aisle but i believe that's the window i'm a window guy
1: is your assumption that if the plane happens to go down in that flight, you'll end up on the island?
0: I've never really fully analyzed why I do it other than it's just, like, instinct. Like, I just have to go for a lost number whenever I'm booking a seat on a plane.
1: Does that does that translate to other aspects of your life? If you go to play roulette, are you only playing lost numbers?
0: On my bocce team, and I am on a bocce team. Uh, we made shirts and we have numbers on the backs of the shirts, and I'm 42 for the Quan.
1: Uh, I thought you were going to be four eight. <laughs> I no, thought you were just going to no, be no, all no. the numbers <laughs> in a row. I
0: thought about it. I thought about 108, <laughs> but I couldn't uh, couldn't justify. Couldn't add yeah. a third digit to the mix.
1: Justified something different.
0: Justified as something else. But no, I was in Canada uh, for uh, the live know-it-alls event for Rob has a podcast, our our sister podcast here. On, uh, on post show recaps and met a lot of people who love what we're doing here on the Leftovers podcast. So shout out to those guys. In fact, I believe the last person I met uh, when I was out in Toronto was a man named Ryan. I think his name was Ryan. Uh, someone who I met on the street as I was hopping into my car. And he said, please just keep going on the Leftovers podcast. Keep keep doing what you guys are doing. And I shouted at Ryan as I got in the car, send us your feedback. We're recording
1: tomorrow. And I heard uh, him exclaim as he drove out of sight. Yes, yes. I don't
0: know if we have any feedback from Ryan, but I just thought that was great. So thanks, everybody who I met in Canada who is a fan of this Leftovers podcast. Very touching to hear from you guys. And really nice to know that this is resonating with you. Uh, Antonio and I are having such a blast covering this super depressing show.
1: Yeah, and we'll keep going, Ryan. Our plan right now is once the season's over, we'll just uh, we'll just start over. We'll just pretend like we never watched the leftovers, and we'll just start with episode one, and we'll just do podcasts over and over. Hopefully, they get better over time.
0: I don't think that's true. I don't think oh, that we're. No, gonna, I did lie about that. Uh, I yeah. do think, unfortunately, when this show ends, we will be done talking about the leftovers. But maybe I we'll have, have a, I a back. Like a, I don't know about that. I will leftovers, have leftovers. Well,
1: leftovers lives coming leftovers soon to a podcast lives. near you.
0: Leftovers two. Uh, so we'll we'll <laughs> see about all of the all of that. But in the spirit of feedback. Of course, we've got a lot of feedback this week. That comes courtesy of you guys. If you do not know how to get your feedback in for future episodes, this is the way. Leftovers at postshowrecaps.com. That is our email address. That's the best way to send in your feedback. We also have a feedback form on postshowrecaps. Postshowrecaps.com slash feedback. Both of those methods will get your feedback directly to Antonio and I. And If you want to tweet at us as well, that is also an option. Antonio is at AC Mazzaro. I am at Howard, any other ways to get us uh, feedback? Carrier
1: pigeon, perhaps. Yeah, um, all stopping on the street in Toronto. Apparently, carry, <laughs> carry
0: coon pigeon. Carrie uh, coon pigeon.
1: Yes. Yeah. Which is a weird hybrid that is on the island of Doctor Moreau, <laughs> the raccoon and a pigeon. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: I don't know about that. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. Go I don't know. If, that again. I don't know if we need to go to the, the island of Doctor Moreau right now. We have uh, to go
1: back to the island, Josh. Although no, Carrie this Coon is, uh, is that,
0: hanging out with David Thulis on a different show right now.
1: I've, I have heard tell of this. I have yeah. heard tell of this. Yeah, we uh, we had lots of great feedback this week, and we we get lots of great feedback every week. But this is an important point, I think, in the season to stop down and not only analyze the events of this episode. And we're definitely going to get into discussions of talk of the machine and everything that goes with the question: What did one snowman say to the other? Uh, and all the things that are inherent in that uh, that weird riddle that seems to be in play with the ladies and the machine and then we're going to get into just some midpoint stuff. Uh, take stock of where we are halfway through the season, where we might want to go, uh, what we think might happen as we progress through the rest of the season, based on the questions that you guys have sent in. So without further ado, if that even counts as a do, uh, I think it's more of a don't. Uh, let's get further, into this, Josh.
0: Further a don't. Yes. Uh, Alright, <laughs> let's hop into this, and Antonio, you did a great job compiling the feedback this week. This week, we actually can make fun of Alex Kidwell because he is uninvolved in the podcast for this one show. He is still in canada
1: yeah alex now i'm realizing how important he is so i take back everything i've said previously uh, <laughs>
0: there is a blackmail tape do. there's a blackmail tape
1: <laughs> has nothing to do listen i hope those tapes never come to light uh yes. it will be a real shame if we were being taped josh That's tapes
0: in uh, quotes
1: yes uh, t-a-p-p-e-s uh it would be <laughs> It would be very difficult, ultimately, uh, if they would be released. No, I have great respect for Alex Kidwell, uh, because we had a lot of great feedback. And I want to start with uh, something we got from Reddit user Jankenator. And this is more of a summary. Uh, Jankenator sent a really great uh, layout of a theory of what was going on with the the question. And Jankenator basically says there are three possibilities in terms of why uh, those women are asking the question with the screening process. And keep in mind that the person who set himself on fire in the desert josh it seems like he gave a different answer to this question that's than that's right. did, as yeah. we talked about and yet yeah both he said were he rejected. couldn't
0: he couldn't kill the baby he you know he says that to kevin senior he asked him like could you kill a baby if it meant you know curing cancer and kevin senior's like Yo, dude, no! And the guy's like, "Yeah, me needs." And then he sets himself on fire. Uh, right? So, Nora, Nora, straight up would ice the baby, and both of and them it, were rejected and
1: kind of cold blooded about it, right? Oh so, yeah, yeah. Super yeah there wasn't a lot it. of uh, deliberation there. Uh, so, Jankedier points out that this leaves three possibilities: one, they look at your reasoning to determine whether you pass or not; two, they decide whether you pass or not based on other criteria, and the question is frivolous or a confirmation; or three, they deny everyone, which is a test in and of itself. And so my question for you is – and, and Jankenator did a great job of laying out all of the various uh, situations, and it plays into mostly three. Like, So let's go over three. Uh, Jankenator says – Let's say they do reject everyone at this stage and don't contact them again. Do you think that that's in play? Like, is this the end for Nora and these people with the machine? Uh, Did she just fail the test and that's it?
0: No, my instinct, and I think we talked about this in the Sunday show, is like, we're going to keep following this line down. Like, I don't think that you introduce a giant microwave that shoots you to, you know, another side of the galaxy where you can be with the rest of the departed unless like that's still going to be a thing in play all season long. I think that we're still into it.
1: Right, and Jankinator pointed out there were all those testimonials. If they're rejecting everyone, they wouldn't have all those testimonials. And so it doesn't make sense for that. What about this one? This is a little out of left field. Uh, What if it's somehow connected to the guilty remnant?
0: If it's somehow connected to the guilty remnant?
1: Yeah, it doesn't really fit, and, and Jenkinator acknowledges that, but Nora was looking into the people that gave the testimonials. These are people that did leave their situations behind. Uh, is that part of some larger plan here? Uh, the, this also kind no, of goes into play. So, so l- let me ask you this. We talked about the she's gone. We had other questions about this that we can, we can sum up by this question. Is there something more sinister in play with this? Whether it's guilty remnant, whether it's somehow connected to George Brevity and the department that Nora works for, checking in on her, or some kind of scam, is there something like that in play? Where the rug's going to be pulled out from under us, and we're going to see a greater purpose or design behind this thing?
0: I don't think so. I think that the, I think that this is pretty straight. I think that the that the scientists involved with the machine legitimately believe in the machine's ability to do exactly what they're saying. Um, There might be some, you know, wonkiness with the test. Like there might be something there. Like if they deny everyone, I can follow that a little bit. Um, but I don't think that there, certainly I don't think that the Guilty Remnant is going to be in play anymore. Uh, you know, leaving that first episode of this season, I did talk about how, like, if that was really it for, for the Meg and Evie storyline, like that feels a little bit disappointing. But this past week, even we got some follow-up on the Evie storyline, though perhaps not in the way that you would necessarily expect. Uh, but it certainly seems to me that the fact that Kevin was seeing Evie in Melbourne and then it's not actually Evie. To me, like they used that bullet, and that means you know the drone strike hit. Like I think that the guilty remnant got wiped out in that drone strike. I think those people are actually toast. Um, and there could still be some elaboration on those characters. You and I have talked about like how it's got to be a given that we're going back to the international hotel at some point. You could see some of those people popping up there at some point. But in terms of there being like some bigger reveal that the guilty remnant is behind, we've been down that road. Season two was building to that point. I think it would be too repetitive to do in season three uh, unless it was something that was like really, really incredibly out of left field that nobody saw coming. But I think that we would, you know, that's always now going to be a suspicion for us. I think it's too obvious to go down that route. And it's also kind of hard to imagine how that works logically. So I think I'm I'm out on that and I'm out on any other kind of like, this is a test specifically designed for Nora. I know that you really paid attention to that George Brevity line. I think it's just kind of a weird line. I'm not reading too much into like, she's going, she's going type of thing. I don't think that there's much of a conspiracy in place here.
1: No, and if there is, I just don't think that it's been seeded enough. Like, that line in and of itself is just weird and odd as a stray kind of thing, as a throwaway. But that's, there's not any anything else that I've seen or that we've been presented or that has jumped out that is also evidence that there's something larger in play. Uh, so it really doesn't seem like they're pulling the rug back. And to be fair to user Jake Ader from Reddit uh, who sent this in, he says he doesn't think it's any of these things. But these are some of the popular theories that are out there. Yeah. Uh, so it's important to get him out there. So another popular theory is that they're going to call Nora back and give her a chance if she convinces someone else to join, that this is a big pyramid scene scheme. And we had uh, a a feedback question from Arlene along these same lines. Arlene was saying, basically, like, this is a process to get them to go through with it later, that this is something where they turn you down no matter the response, and that those that are truly committed to the cause won't take no for an answer, and then are willing to recruit the next person. We did see that with Marklin Baker talking to Nora, and now Marklin Baker has crossed over. And we saw Nora Allegedly. We saw Nora say, what happens next? Like, do I go to a hotel room and talk about low-density de- or low-amplitude Denzinger radiation to someone else? So Nora seems to think that's part of the equation. Is that, Josh, why they're denying her? To prime the pump, as you will. Oh, I just coined a phrase. Wow, that's uh, good. To, to prime. Yeah, that's good. We should write that one down. I think that's a good one. I hadn't heard that before. Um, is that what's going on here? They're priming the pump. They're getting Nora ready to do the more unseemly part of this, which is essentially talk to some, talk someone else into committing suicide.
0: Yeah, I could see that this is part of the process. Like, I could see that, like, rejection is built into it to, like, make you even more eager for it, and we're going to get to a point where they come back to Nora and say, hey, look, this is what you got to do if you really, really want to do it. I think that that's in play. Um, you know, I, I think... I don't know, it's also just possible that Nora failed the test. Like I, I think my favorite explanation is uh, they look at your reasoning to determine whether you pass or not. Like I think that there is no right answer to their question other than your explanation for it. I think that Nora was so cold and so ruthless in her answer that I think that that was a red flag. Like That's the sign of somebody who maybe isn't worthy or mentally stable enough to go through the machine. Um, and then with the guy who set himself on fire maybe he presented as too weak not ready to go through the machine because he's not willing to do the hard thing Uh, so i think that it would be more about who you are and like what does this reveal about who you are and what kind of person are you rather than there is a yes or no answer to this that is acceptable that's where i tend to be with this in terms of what's going on here and why that question exists and why nora and the fireman failed
1: Playing uh, playing a little bit of devil's advocate to that. And I, Jakeinator makes this point pretty well. Jakeinator says that he's skeptical. That's the right answer since they seemingly decided so quickly after Nora answered that question. No conferencing, just walking out. Uh, so is that – do you think that's still in play? If the fact that it was so quick, does that change your analysis no. at all that she just failed the test?
0: No, I think that when somebody presents themselves as a shitty person, you could pick that up pretty quickly if you're a decent judge of character. And on top of that, I think – think they've been through this before, you know, they've been through this process before and they know what they're looking for. Like they're, they know that they're looking for someone with strength and mental fortitude and all of that. And if she gives the answer that she gives, and it's just so clear to both of these people so immediately, and these people have worked together and they have a shorthand, I think that they could arrive at that conclusion instantly.
1: Yeah. And the, the, to be fair, they know a lot about Nora, right? So they may have already been starting from a place of, like, okay, she's going to have to prove her way in. She's got a a mountain to climb. Like, maybe she was maybe only like 40 or 50 percent a possibility and they had a lot of other work to do to get to the point where they would agree with it and she just it was a non-starter like her answer as you put, pointed out was so cold that that was part of it we also had a really good comment from tommy mcnamara along these same lines tommy compared the situation with nora and the question itself about the cancer and the baby to the story of solomon from the bible And Tommy basically talked about how in the story of Solomon, there are these two women uh, who live together and they each have a child. One of the children dies and then they're fighting over the remaining child and they go to King Solomon for judgment, uh, because they're both claiming to be the mother of the remaining child. And King Solomon, it's this is where the phrase, Josh, split the baby comes from. Yeah. King Solomon basically just just claims that one too. I did. Thanks. Congrats to me. Uh, King Solomon says, uh, he says, basically, like, okay, well, I'm going to kill this baby. And one mother's like, yeah, all right, fine. And the other mother's like, no, no, let, let the other one have it. Uh, I'd, I'd rather see the baby live than you to kill it. And Solomon's like, well, then you're the mother of this child. Like, clearly, the mother who said just kill it is not the mother of this baby. So uh, that is really and – I'm, and I'm butchering that story. I'm splitting it in half. Uh, but – Tommy points out that Nora answers the baby riddle with the equivalent of cut the baby in half. Kids die every day, she says. She's rejected from the microwave based on her answer, and she assumes it's because she answered incorrectly. I think she was rejected, Tommy says, because her answer was a lie. In reality, Nora has shown that she would literally give up a child to ensure that it would have a better life in terms of Lily. Despite her hardened exterior, motherhood is at the core of Nora's identity. Earlier in the episode, are you a mother, she's asked, and she says yes. Nora would never nod to kill a baby. In fact, she would risk being trampled on a bridge to save one. The microwave people know an awful lot about Nora, enough to understand that if she says she would nod to kill a baby, she's betraying a profound lack of self-awareness. My theory, Tommy says, is that in order to, quote, pass the test of the riddle, you just have to answer in a way that's true to yourself and why you would be going to the other side. What do you
0: think, Josh? Yeah, I like that a lot. I think that that's consistent with what I said, too, but I think that takes it to an even better level of, like – you really, you don't want people going through this, you know, insane adventure. Like, you don't know where you're going. The odds are against you that you're going to land on any sort of habitable planet. You're probably just going to pop into dead space and die almost instantly. Or ha- however that works. I haven't researched the mechanics of how that would play out. Uh, you know, <laughs> no matter no matter what, no matter where you go, you're really risking everything. And you're throwing yourself into this impossible to fast them situation um, the person who is willing to go through that or the person who is going to be put through that by these scientists needs to be somebody who knows that they are doing it for the right reasons. Um, I don't think that Nora is honest with herself. I think that that has been pretty apparent all season long that she's not being honest with Kevin and she's not really being honest with herself. That incredible final shot of Nora in this episode of like the water streaming down her face and you can't tell if that's the sprinkler or her tears at that point or both you know i think that that's like our most honest moment with nora in a very long time of i do think i want to go through the machine and why am i being rejected and i do want to be with my family and i miss them so much this is a person who maybe in that moment is finally becoming a little bit more self-aware but i don't think that she's really being honest with herself and i think that this is a really good explanation for why uh especially because yeah we did we saw her protecting lily back in season two she wouldn't let a baby die um you know, I, I think that that's a really, really, really great point. What do you think about it?
1: I think so too. And I do think it's in line with what you were saying because I think that there's I think that there's this huge part of Nora, right? where she maybe because she hasn't talked about it fully, right? or maybe because she subconsciously is thinking one thing but then consciously isn't understanding another there's a lot going on there that is preventing Nora I think from growing or from having being able to embrace these things about her life and if we're talking about the arc of this character over the context of the whole series and then where we think she might end up by the end of it and we're going to get into that today with some questions I do think ultimately we have a Nora Durst right now who hasn't Analyze that level of what's going on She thinks surface, fi- she's fine And she presents that way to the world And so when she answers that question It is with that very flippant attitude That Nora Durst displays But we know the waters that are that are there Run a lot deeper than what's going on And we had this uh, great shot at the end As you're pointing out Where we're seeing maybe the truest form of Nora Durst We had a great comment from Dr. Bradley Mitchell uh, Who was writing about all this, Josh Who was writing about the, psycho- the psychology in play in these shows Uh, And Dr. Bradley Mitchell told a story uh, about... How there was this doctor, uh, and not, not at all the same doctor as Dr. Bradley Mitchell. This other doctor was a little bit of a cuckoo. Dr. Walter Friedman. This is a guy who performed lobotomies on people through the orbital socket uh, with ice picks. And Dr. Bradley Mitchell said, Nora, sitting in a room, having lost everything from her past and possibly seeing no projective positives to come is an archetype for depression. The water ice coming from her orbital socket forms a symbolic ice pick, one that Friedman would have used to cure her depression. No need for, save- any vestige of the old Nora, as there's nothing left in her old life. Therefore, the symbolism that could be taken from that shot is that Nora is ready to be disassociated from herself, to wipe the slate clean, to destroy one part of her dualistic mind body connection in hopes of departing from her current affective state. Water to ice, ice picked to medical tool, destruction to rebirth. This does seem, Josh like a like a mid, like a a midpoint for Nora. This is a key point for her. She's been denied. She's undergone all this self-analysis. She's really in this weird place. She's in another country. She's off the reservation. She's not working in her job. She's having to confront a lot of these issues. We've seen what happens when Kevin Garvey gets to this point. It usually doesn't get better before it gets worse before it gets better. Uh, do you think this is where we're going to get with Nora? Like, is she now more weak? Uh, and is she now... More susceptible to manipulation. Laura Olson sent us a great comment saying basically that if you look at it through a religious lens, God didn't forget Nora. He actually put maybe uh, Messiah or his most precious thing, in this case, Kevin, if you're accepting that, into her life. He gave her a baby and her, a new family, and she pushed it away in favor of hanging on to her pain. And like uh, like Dr. Bradley uh, was observing, Laura's observing that, uh, that, Ke- that Nora's holding on to this pain as well. How is she going to move past this, Josh? Laura says she was certain that Nora was going to go through the microwave box. Is that still in play for you? If they give her the option again, is she more likely to go through now? now
0: so one thing that I've been thinking about is like if she's going to keep pushing, you know, down this this line and down this path, and she's going to try and get into the machine. Let's say that she does, right? Like let's say that she's successful. We also have this scene at the end of the premiere that shows an older Nora Durst, and certainly what looks to me to be Earth. And I'm not really ready to entertain that it's not our Earth. That is something that some people think is in play. For me, it's not, at least not yet. And if we get there, then we get there. Uh, but let's say that's our Place. And if she went through, did it not work? You know, like I can imagine the scenario where where Nora goes into the machine and then steps out and everyone's like, uh it didn't work. And just for whatever reason, it's not gonna work on Nora. And I think thematically what that could represent is there is no getting past this. Uh and the Nora that we saw in the first episode of this season at the end of the first episode to me, looks like somebody who hasn't moved on yet. Um, Yes. And I don't know that there's any moving on from something like this. And I think that that's part of the point. And I think anyone who has ever lost somebody, I think anybody who has ever really been through overwhelming grief like that, I think that they would attest that you never really move away from it. you You change and days go by, and life moves on um, and you and you continue to live and you find enjoyment in things and you have joyful moments, but you will carry that profound sadness with you forever and it 's a matter of how you deal with that. How do you stomach that? It becomes part of you um, and Nora certainly you know almost seven years to the day after the departure has not really incorporated any of that in a healthy way. And it's not a judgment. I mean, what she went through is impossible to imagine. Right. You know, th- these are very high stakes in terms of, uh, in terms of grief. You know, uh, This is a world where there is something worse than death. There is just the unexplained loss. Um, she has not come to grips with this in a healthy way. And how is she going to move on from it? I don't think she ever will. Uh, my question is, will she ever come to terms with it? That's what I want to know. Like, Will she ever like, accept it? Will she reach that stage of grieving? Will she come to acceptance, and will she have it be a part of her in a healthy way? I hope so, and that runs parallel with what I said on Sunday night, that I feel like The Leftovers is going to have a happy-ish ending. Like, I think that the final notes of The Leftovers will be bittersweet, and I think that that would fall in line with it. I think if Nora can come to a place where she is at not quite peace with herself, then at least somebody who accepts her situation and accepts what has happened and has moved on or at least like the hope that that is something that's possible even that late into her life
1: yeah and the problem that i have with that is i think you're right in observing that that what we saw so far if that is future nora was a nora that i don't think has moved on and i don't know if we have that be part of a final episode is the whole final episode going to take place in that timeline that might give us an opportunity to arc that out is it going to be only part of the final episode? In which case, are we going to have not as happy of an ending? I completely agree with you that the uh, happy ending is fully on the table. I think bittersweet might be maybe more in play than, yeah. than totally happy, but. Yeah, I,
0: and I'm, let me clarify happy ish. Like, yeah, that's, that's, that's as happy as I think it's going to go.
1: That's where we all are these days. Yes. Uh, I think ultimately, and life is hard, as you said, like we all go through things. And we all carry that around with us. And none of us have had a large level departure event where it affects everyone globally the same way. Uh, And yet, like, uh, we're not the same way, but we're all it's something that we would have to decide whether or not we were singled out or that's the problem with this, right, is that Nora thinks she's Nora cursed. It's not just that people around the world lost people. It's that she's one in 126,000 or whatever the number is. I always mix it up. But whatever that is, that she is a a a very crazy odds thing, and then you have these people that have told her that there's something special about her physiologically, that maybe she's a lens that she produces these things, or that she is in some way related to this. And we saw how much that upset her last season, and it was that very episode where she was so taken aback by that and that level of self confusion that led her to Kevin, and that her led to her and Kevin splitting the first time. So maybe that's in play here. Uh, and it, this is just sort of uh, following up on and, and finishing what uh, Jake Nader said before we move on to one other element of this. Jake Nader presented this without commentary, but this is something that jumped out to me when I rewatched the episode. Nora asks them, where is the machine? And then they also have her sitting in a box and just, quote unquote, testing some stuff out, checking her heart or whatever that is. User Jake uh, Jakeinator says, where's the machine question can also lead towards indication that Nora is in a lens way producing radiation and is the machine in and of herself. By confining her to the box, the process was initiated, but she failed to produce results because of a variety of different reasons. That would also explain the readily or really determined response from the lady that, she, that Nora would get cold feet, as in you've probably already had it, and does explain why they bailed on her. Is there any element of this possibly in play, Josh, that the actual people that are in play or the actual machine involves the people in some way? And that's really what all the tests are about, and that's ultimately why this was a failure. I don't think this because they didn't have Nora tape a testimonial. Right. So if the machine was going to work, quote unquote, there was no testimonial video from her. But what do you make of this possibility that it actually might be Nora herself that these scientists are interested in, much like the scientists we've seen in previous seasons?
0: Well, I think if that were the case, then I don't think that they'd be playing such a head game with her. You know? Like I think like if she was the fuel, if she's the secret sauce that makes the machine work, uh, I don't think that they would reject her. Like, I don't think that they would push her further away.
1: But what if it is related to those Season 2 people who told her she was the secret sauce and that did push her away? Um...
0: You know, it's not impossible. Certainly, look, hey, if we're going to get, uh, if we're going to get Penny Widmore on this show, I'm going to be a happy guy. So I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not closed off to that. But I, I haven't been thinking about these two entities as related. I feel like the, the, as it was the Azrael stuff. I yes. forget. Yeah. yeah. I, feel, I feel like that's in the past. Uh, are you, are you more inclined to believe that they're still in play?
1: No, I just think if you were talking about one big prestige, like one big pull the rug out moment or pull the curtain back moment, like that is where you could get some juice out of this, that this is all part of a continuum where Nora, who sold her house to MIT because they wanted to study the scientific realities of it, who was – Thought to be a lens who George Brevity we saw saying, Hey, our people think there might be some legitimacy to this lens thing. There was a, I think the article was in uh, Popular Science or Scientific American or a respected uh, periodical of note, Joshua. Uh, I think ultimately, like, it's possible that. There is a continuum there where these people came at Nora one way. It didn't work. Like they came to her house. They asked her questions. She was not open to it. So now they're coming at her in a different way. Instead of sending a scientist to her door to give her some long scientific explanation that gets too heavily into the religion, they send a celebrity spokesman. And it's a lot more interesting to her at that point. And I still not, think not, that
0: that's a pretty bullshit celebrity spokesperson. <laughs> All due respect to Mark –
1: Well, it worked out. I mean, it worked out. She's in Australia with cash strapped to her body. Like, she's there. Whether or not she was going to go through with it or not, I don't think we know. But it did work. So I don't want to get into results-oriented thinking. Sure. And maybe maybe there's something more to that. Maybe he himself had because of his ideas that he was part of. I don't really know uh, what the ultimate play could be. I just think it's a small, scant possibility, though not a a likely one. Um, I will say that there is there is the other element of this before we move on to what a lot of other people had feedback about with the question the element is ultimately that uh, the reason they, they turned her down, which is what Nora said, which is that they knew she was on to them, that they knew she was going to bust them, that she had no intent to go through with the machine. I don't think that's why they denied her. There's no epiphany moment that doesn't play out that way. It's not like all of, all of a sudden they're like, oh, oh, she's on to us. We got to go. Like, I really don't think that's why they denied yeah. her. Are we on the same page about that? Yeah,
0: I mean, I know that The Leftovers and like one of the things that's beautiful about this show is that it is, uh, you know, open to interpretation at almost every turn. Um, so you can interpret it that Nora is still like looking at this as an investigation and she's planning on busting these people if you want. But I really felt like the performance says otherwise. I really think that the performance suggested to me that Nora's in. like She wants to do this. She's desperate to do it. I don't think that she's desperate to bust these people. I think she's desperate to reunite with her with her family. Um, so I don't think that they would have viewed her as somebody who's going to bust them up. I think that they, they smell the stinky cologne that is desperation that's all right. over Nora
1: Yep. That seems more likely to me. Uh, And we've seen them go through great lengths to prove that this isn't about desperation. They're not assisted suicide purveyors. They're having all the testimonials of these people. They're they're doing intelligence tests. They're screening people like that to begin with, so that they're not just taking people who are touched or who are unfortunately screwed up. And I think what they're seeing with Nora, and maybe there is something to what commenters are saying and the the feedback we got uh, about how the, uh, the... issue Tommy McNamara's quote or comment really sums it up best how what they recognized in her was as you're pointing out the desperation desperation that really wasn't in keeping with what they thought about her as a person and what she'd already proven to them that day uh, which is that she would be willing to take a baby into her arms to put this in jeopardy like she would she's willing to go to these lengths even on the very day that she's going to see them uh, when they've told her it's very difficult to catch any other bus and all of that so I think they put her in it in a situation. I do think that baby was somehow related to them. I think it's way more likely that the reason that they got rid of her at this point is because she smelled of the desperation, as you're pointing it out. Uh, Spencer from Kansas City says maybe the correct answer was no answer. Maybe the correct answer was I don't know. Uh, what do you think about that, Josh? Is that Should she have just said, like, I don't really know? And maybe it's the people who don't take a firm stance on that question who they take. I don't know. perfect okay uh yeah no i don't know either uh i think that that's possible that's in play i think that there's not as much dramatic uh heft to that i think it's way better if we continue this story if it's not an i don't know thing if it's one of those things where nora was either betraying her true self or they were trying to make her more desperate so she would be more malleable and more likely to go through with it yeah i think i think
0: you know they're looking for people who are certain about who they are and what they want to do and why they want to do this i feel like uh i feel like uncertainty is not a trait that they're really interested in exploring
1: yeah i agree uh but let's talk about one other potential aspect of this uh we had half a dozen or more comments about a potential thing in play here josh vicky said i'm wondering if nora was not allowed to go through the machine because wait for it she was pregnant wow wow Uh, people have had babies when they've had IUDs. They're not foolproof. Uh, Vicky says, I don't know if Nora's pregnant, but it's a possibility. Uh, I don't know, Josh, Samuel lays out a pretty good case for us for why Nora might be pregnant. She says, or Samuel says, uh, here in the previously on, we were reminded Kevin proposed having a child with Nora, though we were not shown her laughter at the idea. Then in this episode, she's asked if she's a mother and given a baby while waiting for the bus. Then a doctor asked to perform a pregnancy test on her. Then she's asked a question about killing a baby to cure cancer... Finally, Kevin throws the idea of having a baby back at her during the breakup, suggesting that she can't be, or she, she can't because she wouldn't be able to play the victim anymore. She'd have to be okay. And finally, Sp- Samuel says, the really most subtle and compelling hint at a potential pregnancy is at the end of the sex scene in the airport restroom. During the last shot, a sign is out of focus and then finally comes in to focus a little more and the sign is for a baby changing station. Wow. Could it be, Josh, that Nora's pregnant and that's why they rejected her?
0: And those, uh, those holy balls at work. Uh, yeah, uh, I hadn't really thought about it, but that's, that's kind of compelling, especially that final shot. Uh, if, it's, if it really does, I'd, I'd have to go back and, and look at that. I didn't notice that, that there is a focus on a baby-changing station that's yeah, that. it's there.
1: It doesn't fully come into focus. Yeah, uh, that's it not do- there it's, for nothing, though, It's a sign. Though, right? yeah, it's a sign. Uh, the thing is, I was never sure that that's 100% what was on that sign. It sure looked like it. But it was always just maybe only – it only got to about 70% in focus. Uh, but, yeah, you're right. She did joke about Kevin having holy balls, Josh. yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: uh so that, <laughs> that yeah robert th-
1: Leonard had sent us a question in asking if those holy balls can produce uh some some holy babies
0: oh my god holy wayne babies uh <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, no more Holy Wayne babies. There's
1: enough Holy Wayne babies out there. Yeah, that's um, what, what's part of what caused this problem to begin with.
0: I know, I know. Well, I mean, I think all of that could still be in play, and it's like surrounding the issue of uh, Nora like resisting new life. You know, like I think that there can still be thematic reasons for all of that. I don't think that it has to be so literal as Nora is pregnant. Uh, and that can be a kind of contrived story, too, like in in fiction of like the, oh, my God, oh, my God, I'm pregnant. Um, so so Who's I'm not sure was that? <laughs> uh, Sorry if there is a jarring or jarred in pause in uh, in the podcast just that we just had to stop down because we just discovered that my cat was in the podcast studio right now. And we had to deal with that. It's very, very uncomfortable moment for everybody.
1: And we'll just uh, leave that. Let the mystery be we'll as to whether that's, mystery... whether that's really what the... happened or if that's a convenient explanation. <laughs> no,
0: that's what happened. It's what mm-hmm. happened. It's what All happened. right.
1: Well, yeah. your mileage may vary. This is, a, this is a show where a man of science, man of faith questions are in play. So We've got the tape. On... We've
0: got the tape. We can always roll that tape if we need to.
1: <laughs> but yeah, we were talking ultimately about uh, whether or not it's possible that is pregnant. When we said Robert Leonard had sent the comment, Robert also observed that Jesus' life began with an unnatural birth. Josh, we're telling Bible stories here. a miracle birth could be part of that
0: a miracle birth could be part of that oh man but it, in, in miracle is where it would have to happen of course uh,
1: well uh, maybe the con- i think the the fair point would be the the conception would have been a miracle, uh, a
0: miracle conception
1: yes uh, uh, it would be an immaculate uh, a, a miracle conception so, yeah, so that's... are we
0: looking at a miracle texas baby i don't know i think that it's not it's not <sighs> off the table but i do think it for me like in in storytelling like that feels like it could be really kind of contrived unless they do it really well um and certainly i think metaphorically like if the idea is that nora has to move on and accept what happened to her and you know find some version of peace or at least continue to live her life having that in the form of new life that she is now responsible for could be compelling it really didn't dawn on me that Nora is pregnant. I thought that all of the baby dawn. stuff was. <laughs> <laughs> it did not dawn on me that Nora is pregnant. Uh, are you feeling it? Do you think that that's where we're There's going? The-
1: Here's the part of it that I like. I like the idea that if we're building to a bittersweet ending, that this stuff between Nora and Kevin is not put to bed yet, and that something is going to happen with Kevin and Kevin Jr., that potentially takes them both off the table, or at least it takes Junior off the table. That if you're telling this story about Kevinism or the idea that that Kevin goes, like a big part of that could be that Junior dies in this season uh we have talked about that already it's something that's certainly on the table um he's not been able to die in miracle but he's not in texas anymore josh he's in australia he's with his crazy white fellow thinking dad who fell on someone and killed them already this season right right. Uh, who in pursuit of his own madness who knows what lengths he's willing to go to who knows about the hotel but believes He himself, Sr., is a bigger part of this story. We're going to get into uh, the nitty-gritty of that. We had a lot of feedback asking these questions about what's going to happen with Sr. and Jr. We'll get into on the second half of this. But I think if you look at a scenario where Jr. is dead— I think a bittersweet way to end this story is Nora's living off the grid in Australia, raising a child that she conceived with Kevin that doesn't really know Kevin, but Nora's got some of what she wanted, but not all of it. And that the bittersweet part is she did get to raise a child, but in these odd circumstances. And we've just been hearing so much about dead children and killing children throughout the course of this season. We saw what happened with Evie. We heard Kevin senior talking about Abraham and Isaac. We're going to get into what this might mean mean for this season. But I like the idea that in a season where we've talked so much about killing children and children dying, uh, we could bring life into that. I think there's a lot of symbolism in there. Uh, So I think that there's a possibility at least. And the part of the possibility that's there is something that I really like. So I don't know if that's 100% where we're going, but I, I like it as a possibility. And I do see that as a very valid reason, They would reject her. It doesn't present that way, though, on the show, right? It presents like they reject her because of the question. Uh, If the doctor who was examining her found the pregnancy for some reason, uh, they would have just said, like, we can't let you go through this machine because you're pregnant. They wouldn't have just said after she answered the question the way that she did, that's it. You're not fit for this. Goodbye. And just walked out as quickly as they did. That speaks to either she really blew that question or there's a larger design in play, wherein her getting rejected the first time through is a test. If she goes out and kills herself, she wasn't meant to go through this machine. If they come back to her later and she's wanting to talk about what's, the, what's going on, like maybe she's of sound mind more. Uh, so it doesn't seem like they've rejected her because of a pregnancy. It just doesn't time out the way they rejected her that way. I do think it's a compelling possibility, though, and I think that there are a lot of signs – in the episode, for sure. But as you point out, I think there's a lot of symbolic value in those as well. So the symbolic value may be all that's in play here. And Josh, we have to keep in mind there's a lot of Lindelofing that could be in play here.
0: There's always a lot of Lindelofing that could be in play here. Uh, well, yeah. we we spent a lot of time talking about the machine, Antonio. You want to talk about some other kinds of machines?
1: I do. Uh, and if we only had more information about those about that machine, we probably could proceed a lot better with our analysis and decision making. Of what was going on with that machine.
0: Yeah, True Machine uh, would be what that would be called. No, let's take a moment and thank our sponsors, True Car. Uh, Antonio, in order to feel comfortable that you're getting a fair price, you need some pricing context. You know, information that's going to empower you to feel confident. And with True Car, you'll see what other people in your local market paid for the car you want, Antonio Mazzaro.
1: (laughs) That sounds pretty good to me, uh, knowing what other people are doing, like 119 people bought cars or something.
0: Something like that. I think around, around 119.
1: 112, Uh, somewhere in there.
0: Let's tell you a little more about True Car. Using True Car, you can easily find the car that you want. True Car is going to show you what other people in your area paid for the car that you want. Now you'll know what a fair price is so you can feel confident. Once you register, you're going to see real pricing on actual inventory. This is competitive pricing offered to you only by a True Car certified dealer for an actual vehicle on their lot. It's pricing you'll see before going to a dealership so you can feel confident when you show up. Confidence is key, Antonio. I've been told this uh, many, many times, and I just haven't taken
1: it to heart. Well, I feel like you're a pretty confident guy, Josh, or at least you're a confidence man.
0: A uh, confidence man, I think, is probably more accurate. With Truecar, you can connect with a local certified dealer of your choosing so you can enjoy a quick, easy buying experience. True car customers are more likely to enjoy a faster buying process when they connect with Truecar's certified dealers. True car, Antonio, Truecar users save an average of over $3,000 off MSRP, which, again, is not Mo Show's recap podcast.
1: (laughs) It's too bad. It would be really nice if it were.
0: It really would be. So when you're ready to buy, visit Truecar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features are not available in all states, including the state of grief that everybody is in on The Leftovers.
1: State of depression. Yeah, yes. this is not great. Yes. <laughs> where do we want to go from here, Josh? Uh, do we want to go? Do we want to steer into that depression or do we want to take stock of where we are generally? Well,
0: I mean, look, we're at the midpoint of the final season of The Leftovers. I'm sure that there's a lot of feedback in that regard of like, we're halfway home here. Uh, we're halfway to the end uh, of this final season of this show that we love so much. What? Where do people want to go from? From here. What kind of feedback did we get in that regard?
1: Andrew Umphrey asked us, how does the end of season two play now? Andrew said the awesome ending of season two doesn't still hold up. We were left with such good feeling that these people have finally arrived at a place of peace or happiness and possibly resolve their issues. But now we see all of that was not true and that these characters are still having all true the car. same issues and problems even <laughs> three years later. Meaning that all the good feelings of season two ending were a lie or were only true for a short time. Or true car. Do you feel like we, uh, we 've tainted season two, or is this going to be the, the the thing about these shows that repilot that have to make a, an appropriate season in series finale and then you have to start over in a third season and we dialed that back much the way much the way better call Saul did uh, where season one ends a certain way and season two begins with a, a reboot of the ending of season one
0: um, I think I think we got to see, you know, we got to see where it's going to go. Certainly, the the flag that I'm planting to to coin a phrase that's never been used on any of these podcasts before. Certainly, uh, the the flag how that I the, <laughs> the flag that I'm planting uh, that I planted on Sunday night and that I'm going to hold to until until really proven otherwise is I think that however this show ends, it's going to be consistent with how season two ended uh, because season two, by all accounts, could have been the end of The Leftovers. Uh, it's kind of miraculous that we have this final season to begin with. And it ended in such a great place. It ended with this family coming together and, you know, forging a new family and your home and all of that. I think that there will be notes of that. Like, I think that that is going to be, like, the emotionally satisfying ending. So, no, I don't I don't think that season three is ultimately going to take away from the season two ending because my stance is that we're going to get somewhere that is emotionally, you know, an, an emotional pair power- Parallel to that moment, I think that emotionally we're going to hit similar notes. Um, what do you think? Do you think that season three is going to take away from season two at any point in time?
1: I mean, I think it already has to that extent. I doesn't mean we can't get back there, but I think I think the correct I think the I think the correct point, uh, and I think that the that, that's essentially the point that Andrew is getting at with that comment is that we see now that that was a little bit of a facade that we moved on three years later, but that our that wasn't. That right now represents the emotional high point for the series. I must add, the ending of season one, very similar, right? Like, we have the formation of a family on the porch at Kevin's house when Kevin and Jill come back to the house, and Nora is there with a, look what I found, a baby. right? And then it's like, oh, we're going to find some happiness here at the end of this first season of The Leftovers. Season two, it's the same thing, families coming back together, but in this case, with a lot more people, with Matt and Mary and Lori and all these people, Tommy and Jill... Now we get back to season three, we see that that's a little different. Matt and Mary are, are dunzo. Like, they're split up. They're living in different places for very different reasons. Matt's uh, fervor has taken him there. The The issues that people had since the beginning of this series are still weighing on the emotional relationships that they have in this third season. So it does make the end of season two seem like a little bit of a smokescreen in hindsight. What we saw maybe as growth was not really growth, but just a temporary reprieve from the things that have been dogging these people ever since we started talking to them. And we can see how that comes back in season three, Matt's fervor or Matt's fanaticism causing a problem with the people in his life. In this case with Mary, Um, Kevin's issues with mental stability causing an issue with people in his life. Nora's issues with deep-seated personal grief and feeling like Nora cursed presenting as we see throughout the rest of this series. So we're really if we look at it on one continual arc, these are the people that we met uh, and they haven't changed all that much. They are in a process of changing. They have a lot more information. They have a lot more story points that they can draw from, but they haven't really drawn the bow around that. It does seem like Fits and starts to an extent now in hindsight, but that's how growth occurs, fits and starts. And so season two is probably the emotional high point for the series. But I agree with you. If we ended season one with the family coming together, if we ended season two with the family coming together, I think we'll see some sort of family coming together moment at the end of season three. I think it'll be bittersweet because I think we are going to go darker before we get lighter, but I do think we'll end the series on a bit of a a, a note that does give us some leverage there. Maybe it's Nora raising baby Kevin without Kevin uh, because Kevin has died. Uh, Maybe there is some element of that to it, but I do think we'll get to some element of that for sure. Let's talk about a darker thing that people want to talk about Josh. Uh and we get into well, we got into it a little bit. We talked a little bit about how all of these things are happening uh where we talk about killing kids so much. Uh First question is from Caroline Allum. Caroline Allum asks basically if Kevin Junior is going to kill another child. The first one he killed was young Patty when he shoved her into the well. Uh, at the end of Crazy White Fellow, thinking and throughout G'day Melbourne, the discussion of killing children for the greater good is obvious. The guy who sets himself on fire and the doctor's questions for Nora. After noticing so many similarities to International Assassin, the hotel, the TV, the fire alarm, a book titled Assassins, the front desk call, Caroline says, I finally decided to rewatch the episode. It's the same question, just presented differently. Will Kevin push child Patty, after real life Patty is dead, into a well to save Kevin's sanity? Would Nora kill a child to cure cancer? Is this leading us to a place where a parental figure will kill one of his or her children? You also debated if we've seen the last of Jill, and that would be one horrible way to bring her back into the story. Uh, It makes me ill if Kevin will kill Jill, Caroline says. Is Lindelof a Dr. Seuss fan? Uh,
0: (laughs) No, I think Caroline (laughs) is. Very good. I liked that.
1: Good point. Uh, Josiah Ward says, and these are all of a piece, Josiah Ward said, could there be a scenario where Junior needs to go to the hotel and the only way for him to go there is for Senior to kill him?
0: Right. That seems likelier. Yes,
1: This could mirror the story of Abraham, Josiah said, which we already observed on this show. Senior says, that doesn't make sense. He, He was an adult. like Isaac wasn't an adult man when god asked abraham to sacrifice him is that you said that's a lot that makes a lot more sense we could be headed in that direction yeah
0: that makes a ton of sense to me right i mean like it's on the show as you just mentioned like that story of abraham and isaac is on the show uh senior and junior are grown ass men. Uh, and we know that junior, when he dies, goes to another place. Uh, and we had speculated a little while ago, like there could be, there could now be a reason for like senior wanting junior to go to the international hotel. Like if he has started to believe that that's a thing that he is able to do, like if he is starting to really buy into the book of Kevin a little bit more by the end of his episode, if that's the interpretation we take when he tells grace, you just got the wrong Kevin. And he's not, he's no longer talking about himself as the central figure. He's, now realizing that his son is the central figure and that also helps to add why he's now so excited to see Junior in Australia when earlier in the episode of Kevin Senior he was saying I want him as far away from here as possible. Uh, Senior fell on a guy that he really needed to remain alive. He squashed a man whose song he needed and you and I speculated that there could be some sort of like rescue operation or like Junior could go into that world, find David Sunday or Christopher Sunday, sorry Uh, mixing my David Burtons and my Christopher Sundays he could go into that world and like bring Christopher Sunday into a room and put him in front of the TV and Kevin Sr. could be on God's tongue tripping out and learning the song through that world like that would be such a badass awesome thing that you could very easily see in this show I think that that makes a lot of sense to me the idea that Sr. could you know have a role in killing Jr. specifically so Jr. can help save the
1: world Yeah, I think that that's a really, a really decent possibility. Uh, the, the, other information about that, Andy wrote in and said it's very interesting that Senior seems to have, instead of a God complex, a Jesus complex. He seems to very much be a wannabe savior, cursing Matt out about not being included in the book, claiming to be able to save everyone, even craftily assuming the role of, quote, the Kevin that the woman at the end so desperately needed. This theme was very apparent to me as I watched. I think it will play heavily in the story all the way up to the end. Jackie Tomayer said, I get the feeling that Senior was happy to see Junior because he's going convinced junior to go on the plank and be drowned and this is how we get back to the hotel and hopefully meet up with meg or evie or maybe even patty yeah senior will then be looked at as a prophet or savior as junior will undoubtedly come back to life and senior will take the credit uh so what do we think this is uh, there's at least some possibility here right
0: i think that this is a strong possibility like in terms of like actual like plot predictions like this this is the one that i like the best like i think you got to imagine that we're going back to the hotel at some point it was so riveting it was so cool and the fact that they went back to it in in season two already right like the fact right. the fact that in they,
1: episode 10 right
0: yeah. like they had the episode they had international assassin as its own hour of television and then they went back there two episodes later and i remember you and i both being like wow i can't believe we went back there like i can't believe like that's a spot on the show now like that is a location in the world of the leftovers so you have to imagine that we're going to go there again uh we certainly know that kevin it, it at least really looks like he's been trying to go back there with like the bag thing and everything and maybe has been successful in going back there we still don't really know um uh, so- his
1: favorite his favorite rap song on his ipod is by the group Into deep and it's called back to the hotel
0: is it really are you serious yeah, that's no. a deep
1: cut reference for those uh old i'm just dating myself so uh, there.
0: yeah sorry well.
1: but worth listening to i also said the <laughs> literal <laughs> i also said the literal video of uh, take on me was worth listening to and no one said anything to me about it so no one's i, did, my I did i did look it up and i'd
0: forgotten about it that was from back in the day uh in in it's like what like a decade ago that that was popular on the internet i'd forgotten about it but it, it was really fun to revisit
1: yeah again i'm old uh, <laughs> but yeah there is uh, there are these there are tons of possibilities and i I think uh, we already have the prophecy of Rob Sesternino, Josh, which says that if anyone else goes to the hotel, this show has jumped the shark. Right. So we have to have Kevin going back. Otherwise, we're, we're that Rob is off the boat. Do you, but, do you agree
0: with that? Do you agree with that take from Rob that if anybody else goes to the hotel, that the show has jumped the shark?
1: Uh, I th- I would be concerned. Like I could see where the concern would would rise. Would, would I, th- I understand why Rob is concerned about that? I think there are ways they could do it that would make a little bit of sense. Uh, we already saw that potentially something regarding Mary was in the hotel. We saw that other people had their own hotel missions. We saw that Virgil was in the hotel. I don't think that Kevin cannot be in the hotel and other people can be. But if Kevin's in the hotel and other people from our current story are there, I'm okay with that. Especially if multiple people go at the same time, like with Virgil. So I'm not 100% sure that I need to see no one else there. But if I have to see Kevin go back. Uh, the The prophecy of Colin Stone says that somebody's got to wear that the the guilty remnant robe. Somebody's right. got to wear the priest robe. So right. if we have these other costumes left, there may be room for two people, not just one. Uh, Beyond that, I don't know, but it would ruin it for me.
0: So we agree he's going back, right? Like Junior's going to go back to the hotel. He's currently with Senior. Senior's got reason if he's starting to believe in Junior. He's got reason for Junior to go into that world. There's something in that world that could be very valuable for Senior. So in terms of like plot predictions, I love that. I think. Oh my god,
1: I just got super excited at the possibility of having that into deep rap song back to the hotel as the opening credits. Oh,
0: that'd be fun. You know, it's a fun thing to do is to watch the opening credits on silent like to mute the volume and then just like put any song that you want over it because apparently that's now a thing that we
1: can do oh that should be a meme like that that should be be something that that needs to be happening on the internet we need to be making these videos
0: or you guys who are listening to this if you want to make those videos and you can send it our way and then we will rank them (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, that seems very ambitious. That we nah. would expect people would do that, but uh, maybe that would maybe that that would be great. We will rank them if if they're sent in. Uh, I trying to think of what some of the best song uh, song possibilities would be uh, with those or Benny Hill. We, Benny Hill, what we could do, Josh, is we could go back with season two of The Leftovers and find an appropriate song for each episode uh, with those credits. Oh, uh, so that would a be a fun idea. exercise yeah, as well. That was, put idea. that one in the bank, Josh, for The, yeah. for the Leftovers Live. Yes. Uh, leftovers Lives. Yeah, we'll <laughs> put great. that one in the bank for later. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, there, there are these things. There's, the credits are now mission statements. Uh, and so be on the lookout, right? Next time we start an episode and we don't know where what we're going to expect, uh, that opening credit song is going to tell us a little bit about the episode, at least so far. I don't know if they're going to change anything for the second half of this season, but that's a it's a fun thing that, that's going in play here. I want to go out of left field and ask another question uh, from Ader, which I thought was really good. Um, what meaning or significance do you give to Kevin wanting to be a reporter when he was young, Josh? Uh, Ader says I thought it was an excellent contrast to the Kevin we get now. Now he doesn't really have a complete understanding of the world, uh, and when he was a kid, he was asking a lot of questions as a result, just like he is now. He even gave gets emotional when questioning if the Ducks would live. This is very familiar to the Kevin we know and love. Although he doesn't have his dad to answer his questions about his crazy, crazy world, the senior-junior relationship is a very interesting thing to keep an eye on as we move forward in the season. Does this influence, Josh, the dynamic between the two of them, knowing that young Kevin was this way and that was their interaction? Are we going to get mileage out of that now that they're back together?
0: I think um, not, like, directly. Uh, I don't think, like, the, the reporter thing is going to be, like, a major storyline on the show. Uh, what I do think is it it really helps to to clarify a lot or at least it enriches what we know about Kevin already uh, that at least when he was a younger guy when he was a, when he was a kid he was very curious about the world and he was asking questions about you know uh, you know you know the role of, of of ducks in life and everything like that like he was a, he was a curious little man and now he is a curious big man you know he is a he is a he's a curious adult and i think it took him a while to get there i think it took uh, you know, dying a couple of times and, you know, killing the ghost of Patty and everything like that to get him to kind of openly wonder about the world again. I don't think that that was always the Kevin that we, that we knew. And I still think like there is a degree of, I know Alex Coons really loves the version of Kevin that's, this is stupid uh about karaoke. I think that guy still exists to a degree, but I think that he's, he's more, I don't know, he's a little more pure now, I think. I think that, like, he is, you know, and there's something to actually Justin Thoreau's performance, I think, despite the fact that he has that impressive beard. I don't know if you're observing this either. There's, like, a real childlike quality to him this yes. season. Yeah. Um, with, like, the way, his, the, his like, wide-eyed. facial Yeah, his facial yes. expressions. Like, there's always just, like, a wide-eyed look to Justin Theroux uh, that I do think has that sort of childlike wonder to him. Um, so I think that that's the connection, really. I think that there's something a little bit more, like, youthfully curious about Kevin these days,
1: well, and it has a lot to do with what he experienced last season, right? Like right, the, the fact that he did, as, you, as you're like rightly observing, like this is a. This is a Kevin that we know now, having the Kevin we know now, knowing everything that he's experienced, like, he is going to revert to a lot of that. He is going to lens the world through a questioning eye- eyesight, not not, not the, the mentality that he's got it all figured out. Like, you can go through life thinking you've got it all figured out. Then something can broadside you, and you think, I have nothing figured out. Everything I've been operating under is ridiculous and false, and I feel like that is definitely what happened with Junior, and that's what we're seeing from Thoreau this season, as you're observing with the the look on his face and the way he's taking in events. This is a change, Kevin, on some level. And it was interesting, I thought... That when he's giving his police chief speech at the beginning of this season, he's looking over his bifocals like an older man. Uh, he he's grown the beard. His physical elements have changed, but his emotional elements have changed as well. That said, Josh, he does burn the book of Kevin, uh, yes. he, so he's not all the way in on that. Uh, our, our great friend of the show, Dave Becker, asked, "What are the ramifications of the or Dave Baker? What are the ramifications of the destruction of all the copies of the book of Kevin?"
0: Right. Well, you know you. See- say that like maybe he's not all in on it because he's burning the book but if he is all in on it you know like if he is starting to buy into it a little bit then he's the guy who had these experiences and maybe he's reading that book and being like close but not quite you know As long as Kevin exists, that book can be rewritten, and it can be rewritten with his involvement. So just because one copy of the book, the one copy that existed, is now destroyed doesn't mean that the concept of the book of Kevin is over. Kevin Garvey Jr. is still very much alive and still very much capable of writing a new tale.
1: Yeah, everyone that wrote that book, as far as I know, is still alive. John, Michael, uh, Matt, they're all still around, and they will all be desirous of not losing that text. Uh, we've seen lost biblical or lost spiritual texts arrive or pop up all the time. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility that maybe the one that was thrown in the garbage would reemerge at some point. Who knows? But it seems more likely they can just rewrite it. Uh, that's not that difficult. Uh, Kevin sure. Garbage. Kevin Garbage.
0: Sorry. All right. <laughs> no, that's all right. Um, Sorry. I just, you know, whenever I see a pun, Antonio, I, I can't resist.
1: No, you got to do it. It's the Kevin Garbage. It's my curse. This is my curse. It is my a gift. A lot of people it – <laughs> it's a gift and a curse. It's yes, fine. Yes. Uh, there are a lot of people – speaking of gifts and curses – There are a lot of people who assign value to things that happen. We talked about how this would be a broadside for Kevin, and a broadside for Kevin would change the way that he would lens the world. It would change the way that uh, he would maybe evaluate things that happen to him, things that he would dismiss earlier as weird. Um, This is a guy who, in, in season one, is looking through a bagel machine for a lost bagel that he later finds. But the value that we assign, depending on how we see things, is very important. And we had a comment, a longer comment from Dirk L. about this concept of what uh, is called meaningful coincidence or synchronicity in The Leftovers. Uh, This is something coined by the analytical psychologist Carl Jung. As Dirk points out, it basically means meaningful coincidence, ideas that have the idea that events shape, that share no apparent causal relationship can be linked with meaning. Uh, An example Jung used was that of a patient having uh, a dream about an ornate scarab beetle being presented to. Her. At the same time, a scarab beetle flies into the window of the office uh, and Young then gives the beetle to her. It's a coincidence, absolutely, but one that seems unnervingly connected. Uh, Dirk goes on to point out that the series is replete with examples, ranging from the apparent to the more subtle. Things like Kevin and his run-ins with deer in season one, everything with the National Geographic magazine, Dean's peanut butter sandwich and the dog that loots it off his corpse, Nora's technology problems that feel connected in their own strange but not totally... And explainable ways. There are some instances that the plot hinges on, like Kevin's multiple deaths and resurrections, that could be explained rationally but are still so far fetched and improbable that characters make their own explanations of these seemingly paranormal coincidences, such as the collaboration on the book of Kevin. Some coincidences are so damn coincidental that they seem behind the scenes turning the wheels of life, like Kevin seeing Evie on TV, leading him to visiting the set just by chance to be seen by Kevin Sr., who happened to be watching TV at that moment and meets up with him moments after breaking up with Nora in spectacular fashion and the only reason senior was able to find him was because junior just happened to put his name on the room earlier that very day that's an awful lot of coincidence Josh Dirk puts out a, a really lays out a really good thing that we is that that really just is under Bubbling under, I think the the leftovers throughout, which are there are all these seemingly inexplicable events that happen to these characters. They assign meaning to them or don't assign meaning to them based on where they are. Uh, Dirk said, "Are there any other examples?" Funny enough, I don't know if Dirk and Lisa Seidel know each other, but Lisa sent in a couple of examples on her own. Wow, Lisa that's said, great!
0: Doing the work for us. Thank you, Lisa. I appreciate exactly. it exactly. <laughs> uh, this is what I thought.
1: I wrote down doing the work for us. Lisa says, uh, "I see a bit of a parallel between the opening of." 2-1 and what Kevin Sr. goes through in 3-3. Three, three. Both the woman and Sr. are wandering in the wilderness. They reach a point of thirst and starvation. They try to get food, and while doing so, they end up getting bitten by a snake. The woman in 2-1 is carrying around and protecting her baby, while Sr. is carrying around and protecting the tape recording of his, while he uh, avidly protects uh, that. Sr. does not die, but just like the woman has her baby taken away from her, Grace takes the story of Jr. from Sr. while he sleeps and adopts it to her own needs. That's
0: a great, great parallel. Yeah, that's awesome.
1: Yeah, and that's a parallel, not a coincidence per se, but this is something that runs throughout The Leftovers, these parallels, these coincidences. Lisa also points out that what Lori and John are doing seems to be a parallel to what the microwave people are doing. Lori and John are running a scheme where they help people who lost someone in a non-departure way by having Lori dig up information on them. John conveys it, and then they take their money and shred it. Compared to the microwave people who deal with people who lost someone in the departure, they know everything about them, looking up information on them, they send someone to convey the message, and then, well, we aren't exactly sure what happens next because they didn't take Nora's money. But that, too, is a parallel, in a sense, to Laurie and John, who stopped helping a man because the woman he was seeing information on, seeking information on was departed. He didn't fit the bill of what they were looking for, like Nora clearly didn't with these people, and they turned him down. So those aren't coincidences per se, but life is full of these coincidences. This show is full of these coincidences and parallels. The idea that there would be these parallels seems co- coincidental in the context of the story like wow what are the odds that this would happen with this person and this would also happen with this person like there are these coincidental parallels in the meta of this josh Uh, this is a show i think that isn't just about these coincidences or the synchronicity it's mainly about how we interpret weird events like that right
0: yeah. And I think the other thing too is, first of all, that's totally right. Um, but also it's just good storytelling. Like that's great storytelling. You have that scene in the cave in the first episode of season two. Uh, and it's a very, very memorable scene. And you have an opportunity with this story with Kevin Sr. to repeat those moments in a way that's really beautifully articulated by Lisa there. I think that's just that's good, that's good narrative storytelling, right? Like that's just good artful fiction in terms of something that echoes an iconic moment from before. Uh, It's already in the arsenal. You know, these are scenes that you can draw upon later on down the line. And I, and I love that. I hadn't thought of those two in connection to each other before, but that's a really beautiful thing. And I think it's, I think it's just flat out good writing beyond just the, the meaningful coincidence of it all, which I think is a beautiful way of looking at the leftovers too.
1: Yeah. And it gives us great fodder for podcasting, right? It's why I found the the rewatch to be really beneficial because there are all these things. Uh, It's why the story of Kevin as a possibly messianic figure is so great because it lends a new way of looking at previous events that happened. And it does bring in more parallels and it brings in more of these things. And the core parallel at the center of this, of course, and that we're going to, I think, mine through the rest of this season is the parallel between senior and junior. The idea that they were both cops who had their uh, stuff together, more or less, that this event happened and the event happening maybe has caused them to unravel and has brought out these other issues that they were lying dormant in them at the time. Were they crazy? Are they crazy? Uh, To to use an indelicate term, perhaps. Or uh, is there something more? The same questions are being asked about both of them. That was a, a central underpinning of season one with Kevin Sr. Is he crazy or is he on to something bigger? Probably he's just crazy, but we don't know. There are things that are happening that we can chalk up to mental illness or we can chalk up to some spirituality. They seem to really like playing with that, that question. They talked about how that was a central question that uh, the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, as I always say out of respect, uh, was – Going through himself like that, that they really found that fascinating, that when he first started hearing voices, the voice of God, he thought to himself, like, I'm nuts, like, this isn't right. And I believe there is some connection to that idea uh, from the prophet uh, to Ultimately, what the fake Evie was holding up on the sign in the background, if you and I don't want to go into great detail about this, because I'm sure I'll butcher it. And when I'm trying to be respectful, I'll just be terrible. But I think that 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 is mentioned, at least in that particular uh, passage that she is citing on that sign, that that you are not crazy, like the the prophet that is carrying these messages is not crazy. Uh, he's not insane. Uh, and so that is a a thing that has been brought up, and these these parallels between those two characters, I think we're going to get a lot more mileage out of the rest of this season. So I think that that's, a, that's an interesting thing to look at. Lisa also asked, is Laurie a force of good? And Lisa said, well, I do think Lori is right that some part of Kevin wanted to run away. Do you think it was, her, it was projection when she told Kevin that the reason Kevin saw Evie was because he understood her need to run away from her family. Is it just Lori justifying within herself that Kevin understands what she did in season one to make herself feel better for doing it? Josh, what about Lori? We're
0: psychoanalyzing the psychoanalyst now.
1: Well, listen, it is on the table because look what Lori did in season two. She brought these people out of the guilty remnant, tried to give them something else, essentially steered them into oncoming traffic. Like this is a Lori who in trying to do good has caused harm to people. Right.
0: Yeah. No. A hundred percent. Like literally into oncoming traffic. Uh, what?
1: Do yeah. We, not metaphorically.
0: What was the name of that character again? Do you have any? I don't remember. Yeah. yeah it, was it was a very a, sad car, story. You know, car there, crashy
1: McSadwife. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It was really, really, really tragic. Um, I think it's a good point. Uh, I think that Lori, you know, just like how everybody is still kind of, you know, no one's really at peace on this show. Uh, or at least not many people are at peace on this show. I can't imagine that Lori would fall into the category of people who really have it all together. Uh, she certainly seems happier these days. She and John seem pretty happy together. But I could, see, I could see that. I think that Lori still probably has some regret over her relationship with Jill. Does not seem to be especially warm these days. Like, Jill and Kevin are fine. Doesn't seem like Lori and Jill are, like, super tight these days. Um, so yeah I think I think that that is exactly she could be speaking about herself you know like she could say exactly that about like you identified with the need to run away and could just be talking about herself like she could be you know looking into a mirror and saying th- those exact words and would hold the same exact meaning
1: Yeah I think that that is uh, I think that's that's <sighs> Lori is so baffling to me, and it's possibly because the character is slightly underserved in the world of The Leftovers. Uh, It is not an easy world to service. Uh, She didn't get to talk throughout most of season one, and I think that that was a real difficult thing in terms of expressing her motivation. We had uh, a long scene with her and Meg where the divorce is happening, and Meg is reading out for Lori the the ideas behind the divorce. And we saw these moments with her throwing away a lighter that Jill gave her that's said something to the effect of, remember me, and then really running to try to get the lighter back. Uh, We saw her going to horrible lengths and then in season two, regretting them. Now in season three, it does seem like her and John are at a place where they are doing good for people. And when it comes to potentially being fraudulent or doing real bad, which is working on the departure element of this, they're not doing it. I think they see themselves as doing the work of generalized psychics. I don't know how they make money otherwise, if they're shredding the money, but we talked about how this seems more likely they're shredding it because they do want to be altruistic about it. It isn't a scam they're running. The scam that they're running is to scam people into happiness. And that's all they're going for at this point. They're scamming people into closure. Uh, They're not really doing anything else. But it's funny that there is a slight parallel between them and what's going on with the machine people, because it doesn't seem like the machine people are interested in delivering happiness. Maybe a little bit of quote unquote closure or the opportunity at closure, but I don't think happiness. Like I don't think anybody who goes into the machine willing to kill themselves as happy with their lives uh, as it is or as they stand it's funny because even though we think the machine might be just incinerating people even one of the doctors who's involved with the machine josh says she doesn't like the odds yeah. she doesn't like that you might just go out in the middle of space and just be dead right like so even those people are saying like if you're going to the this machine like you're going to you have to really kind of be in a position where you're willing to accept that it might not work
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. Uh, This is a complicated show.
1: It's so complicated. It's very heavy. (laughs) And the idea is ultimately that that Laurie and Kevin, or Laurie and John... Are giving people some kind of closure. The machine people are not doing the same thing. They're giving people the opportunity at closure, uh, and I think those two things are very, very different. And well, the, they're closing
0: the, them in a box. They
1: that's are closing them in a box. Uh, closure of a kind. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, yeah. That's a different show. I think uh, what's in the box ultimately is a question that we would ask. And there are boxes in other shows—a mystery box. So there is some element there. But they are doing that. But they're not. They're not providing direct closure. They're providing the opportunity of closure. And honestly, what they're doing with pulling out the rug out from under Nora is the polar opposite of that. They're making it worse, right? They're dangling the opportunity at taking some control of their life in front of her and then they're pulling it away. We saw what impact that had on Burning Man. Uh, we have not seen what impact that will have on Nora. But that's why it does seem like they're more manipulative unlike John and Laurie who are being altruistic and if they're manipulative in any way, it's manipulating with good intentions like manipulating people People where they're like, okay, I finally got some closure on my wife who was dead in a coma and I never got to say goodbye to. I can they can provide that closure. So even though it's not real, it is meaningful and it is valuable, hopefully, to those people. But I think that's the. Uh, I think that's a key a key element that's going on there. Wh- where should we go next, Josh? Where should we go next? Let's see. Where should we go next? Um, should we do some quick hitters? Is that where we should go next, Josh? Quick hitters. Yeah, let's do. Yeah, a let's couple do quick some quick hits. hitters. Yeah, uh my my doppelganger uh, mi- mistaken for me once, Bobby from North Jersey. Uh Bobby says w- Basically, what will it take for Nora to become a believer? I would love to see Kevin take her to the hotel and take her on her own spiritual journey and return home with Kevin at peace. Do we think that could happen, Josh?
0: Uh, well, certainly it would make Rob Sesternino upset, right? Like, uh, Well, but a... <laughs> if Kevin took
1: her, Kevin took her. But I don't think that squares with Sarah Durst. That does not seem to be a believer and a happy person.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I, I would love to see her in the hotel. Wouldn't that be awesome? I'd... Uh
1: I'd be too worried she wouldn't come back.
0: Yeah, I'd be a little nervous about that, too. Uh, Though she wouldn't be with the people that she'd want to be with. Like, death is not going to solve her problem. So I don't know that that's something that would be uh, super appealing to her. What's going to make her a believer? Time and distance, probably, right? Uh, (laughs) Nice equation. You know, I I think that that's really what it's going to be like. I think that that dials back to to what I was saying earlier in terms of where I'm kind of expecting this thing to go, is I think that – I think Nora will find that level of of peace or acceptance late in life. I think that the that the Sarah Durst scenes, like I don't think that that's a person who's fully there, but I bet that that's a person who's like 30 minutes away from getting to that point. You know what I mean? Like I think that that's the person, that's the version of Nora that's finally going to be that person. Um, so I think it's really just going to be a matter of living a lot more life uh, and having to weather these storms for several more years. Uh, I think that that's how we're going to make Nora Durst into a believer. I think one day it's just going to come into place i think that enough time and enough distance will have been passed and traveled that she's going to find herself at a place where she's ready to believe a little bit
1: well amanda miller points out uh, this goes back to episode one of the season but did we see nora slash sarah take the messages off the doves is she still trying to prevent people from believing in false prophecies josh
0: Mm. yeah i mean maybe listen you know I, I don't I don't blame Nora for like not being in on any of this you know it's it, this is crazy talk, and like the the book of Kevin stuff is is really wild, and it's about you know somebody who she has shared her life with for the past you know several years, who she who she knows on like a very practical level, and it's like hard to buy into the fact that this guy might be this messianic figure. Uh, you know, I can I can certainly understand where she's messianic,
1: coming from. messianic.
0: You know, it's gonna, <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna require it's gonna require a lot of armor twisting to get Nora on board with this. Uh and even thinking about it further like Nora really is the character on this show who's like who isn't, you know, I I think that you could make an argument that everybody on the show has found some version of acceptance except for Nora. Uh, you know, John certainly seems like he's he's OK. Uh, you know, he's wondering about Evie a little bit, but I think mostly he's OK. I think that yeah. most people are like probably like 80 percent healed on this show at this point, And like Nora is still at like a pretty hard like 40 percent.
1: Well, Peter Politano had a great comment about that acceptance and Peter said it occurred to me that as the day of reckoning approaches in this episode, Nora and Kevin individually in their relationship violently hurled toward their collective days of reckoning. He points out that Nora's denial of the depths of her damaged soul nearly led her to the microwave and eventually did lead her to the massive breakup with Kevin with her even blaming him for letting Lily go and literally having everything around her go up in flames. Kevin himself is convinced he was okay, but then he forced by Laurie to confront his issues and he burns the book of Kevin and basically is completely lost and confused about who he is, Messiah crazy or somewhere in between. The good news is it's episode 4, hopefully it isn't too late for both characters to confront their issues head on almost like an alcoholic or drug addict, the first step to recovery is admit the problem. How each character processes these events will ultimately determine their outcome. Knowing Lindelof and probably more reflective of the reality this resolution will be most likely to per- be purposely vague and open to interpret interpretation kevin does seem closer to acceptance than nora so i expect to be Lindelof and their roles to somehow be reversed before the end i think that's an interesting take that we think that kevin is probably better off than nora that he's closer to acceptance but yeah this episode really did probably throw him for a loop and he's about to he's about to link up with the craziest possible person that he could right so where his acceptance is with that it could certainly evolve
0: you know, it's a shame that The Leftovers isn't five seasons long, because the more and more I'm thinking about it, you know, this is a show about processing grief. Uh, oh, and,
1: each season could be, yeah. You
0: know, and what is that final stage? So it would have been great if, if, if it was a five-season five season show, but that being said, that really does clarify for me that this is going to be a show that's ultimately about acceptance, and like, that's the destination that we're going to be driving at. Um, I think that for the most part, like, our core cast will reach that place, in what Whatever form that means for those people, I think that our main characters are all going to arrive at acceptance in different ways and at different times, and I think Nora is going to be last to the finish line.
1: The person I think I'm struggling most with that is Senior uh, because Kevin Sr., I, I don't think know. He, I
0: think he might be there right now, to some degree anyway. I, th- I think, you know, again, like, I think that's really subject to interpretation, that final scene in episode three of this season with Senior and Grace, when he says, you just got the wrong Kevin. I think when you pair that with what we saw of the two Kevins meeting in this most recent episode, Senior seems super stoked to see Junior when uh, one episode earlier, he was saying, get that guy as far away from Australia as humanly possible. I think that Senior has accepted that he's not necessarily the special one, and He's the father of the special one. I think there's still still more road to travel, but that's where I'm at currently until proven otherwise with Senior and Junior's dynamic.
1: What do you think it is that happens in the context of those last 15 minutes of episode three that changes Senior's mind on that? Because I feel like it's still very much an open question. When he says, you just got the wrong Kevin – Does he mean himself or Junior? And that's Junior that's the wrong Kevin, but he still thinks he's at the center of his own story. What is it that changes his mind that makes him want to buy into Junior in the last 15 minutes of that episode? Is it the story from Grace?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think it's, you know, waking up and hearing Grace's full story and how it connects to, yes, to him, to him, Kevin Sr., but she's fueled by this story of Kevin jr. Like she's fueled by the saga of this young man of, of Kevin's son. Uh, and I think to him for a guy who is constantly looking for signs and is constantly being pushed from one direction to another. And if you and I are like really in on this theory of, of, uh, of senior needing jr. To go and get the song or something like that. And like bringing that to the TV and we get another God's tongue scene. Um, then I think that he could be hearing that and being like, okay, we're pushed further. We're closer. We're closer to that. And I think hearing this story from Grace, I think really lines those things up for him.
1: Yeah. And I still buy into the idea that he might be so fanatical that he thinks that Kevin Jr. has to die for some greater cause. Or maybe or something he thinks it's there. like a, yeah, maybe he thinks that it's like a,
0: I don't know, like a back to the future thing where he's like a co-lead with Marty McFly, right? Like he's <laughs> the Doc Brown and he's the Marty McFly. And you don't want to say that one is more important than the other. You need both.
1: This is heavy, Josh.
0: <laughs> Deja vu. Uh,
1: yeah. No, that's possible. It's uh, It's fascinating to me because we are also the unspoken part of this. Or We talked a lot about how there are these metaphors about killing children and all of that and how Kevin did push young Patty into the well. But we, what we didn't talk about, which James Newfield had written in a comment about, was an in International Assassin, of course, the man at the bridge who we thought might be David Burton, who we haven't seen this season and I don't know if we're going to see, that man says, you have a choice, or jump. And Kevin said, why would I jump? And that guy says back, because you don't want to kill a child. And we have the the killing a child thing with the cancer uh, cure question. We have uh, the Abraham and Isaac thing brought up. It just feels like there is some element of that that's going to play into the junior-senior story. That feels real to me. And so I don't know if that is the product of a – Senior who has accepted that he's not really... I think he's probably accepted that he that he thinks he's special. That's what he's accepted, and I'm not sure that that's true. I think, unfortunately, he's just a little touched, and he's not really accepting who he truly is, uh, and I think that's the difficult part. That's not to say he's not happy right now. He seems happy, bounds out of that van. He gives Kevin a hug. You're right, he's happy to see him instead of upset, but I do wonder if Kevin Sr. thinks Junior's going to need to die to prevent something or to free something or to change... Something, so that's the part I'm really, really concerned about. Well, then uh, that could
0: you know, then that can push him closer to acceptance when he realizes that, like, oh no, the, I just
1: killed my son,
0: yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, you know, that is a dark way to get there, uh, but I think you know, the proof would be in the pudding at that point. And I well, think, at that
1: point, cancer gets cured, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> so, so, you know, six of one, half dozen of another. Uh, yes. but, But yeah, I don't know. I just think that that's that's a fascinating part. Uh, A lot of people, Patrick Siegert uh, emailed in and thought that uh, Nora is going to commit suicide and that Kevin is going to go to the hotel to free Nora. Uh, It does seem like what we're thinking is going to happen in this season, in the last four episodes is some form of death that brings Kevin to the hotel uh, and that Kevin is going to maybe try to free someone from the hotel after they've died. We know it's not going to be Nora unless he's right there in the room with her and somehow finds a way to take himself to the hotel in that room. Uh, and uh, and I just don't know that, that that would all play out. I mean, we're not seeing people being dead for a week and then being brought back from the hotel. It doesn't seem to play that way. It's more of a freeing of a lost soul kind of thing. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know. It just does seem like there's this death that's coming. And it seems if you're talking about Kevinism in the story of that, the most likely death is, is Kevin Jr. Uh, I think so, so too, yeah. Yeah, it'll just be fascinating. Um, that I, I don't know. We'll see ultimately where that goes. Two, two more quick hits, Josh, right, as we wrap up here. Uh, our great friend Alex Coons asked, I was really interested in the music choice for this episode. Take on Me was great, but the classical music during the breakup scene really caught my attention. Why do you think they used the music so heavily in this episode when the usual Leftovers theme... Would have worked just as well were they directly trying to make a connection to the other hotel that prominently featured classical music. Oh,
0: that's a good. That's a good connection. Um, I don't know. There's something. I don't know. There's something kind of like operatic about the breakup, right? Like, I yes. Think, there's uh, fire. There's <laughs> water
1: storming down. Elemental. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. I. I think. I, I think that's is Take right. Take
1: on Me's lead singer a, uh, a fat woman? Like, uh, is that the <laughs> opera? Like the ending, the opera ending? Like, is that what it is?
0: It's is not a fat lady singing. Not yeah. over until the fat lady sings. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I love that. I, I think that there really is sort of that, like, epic operatic quality to that scene anyway. And the choice of music there kind of underscores it. Uh, and, I, and I love its connection to the hotel, too. Uh, I, I loved spending time in, like, an actual hotel in this episode. You know, like, I loved that we weren't in, like, some otherworldly hotel. We were in a different international hotel. Uh, and I think that the parallels between it, you know, again, meaningful coincidences uh, are... are uh, they abound in this episode.
1: Yeah, it is. Uh, it is. It's there. Uh, it is there. Meaningful coincidences, as we pointed out, uh, purposeful coincidences. They are all there. You got to think. The best part of it for me is you got to put yourself in Kevin Garvey's brain. Like, what does he think? Basically, anytime he goes to a real hotel, now the TV's not working. He's got to call down to the desk. Stop me if you've heard this before. You know, like this is a thing where Junior has to be really rattled anytime he's in a hotel. To be honest, because yeah. it's like, wh- what's going to happen now? Like, am, is there going to be a bird flying around am I going to get summoned to the lobby is somebody going to show up and try to kill me like it is uh, it's really funny to think about like junior in these hotels and how he's got to look at uh, everything that he's facing and wondering if it's real and things like that uh, but these meaningful coincidences synchronicity it is definitely real but they're also very meta and they reference back on their so why we love the show Josh so indeed that's a big part of it another reason why we love the show are the themes though uh, and our great 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 friend our Philly. I'd like to wrap on this discussion our Philly sent in a great comment, uh, and he talked about a fundamental theme of International Assassin was about compassion. And I think there's a few interesting notes about it in this episode. Denia says to Kevin, "I have compassion for you because you are ill," which struck Lee as deeply similar. Which struck our Philly as deeply similar to Kev's feelings toward Patty in International Assassin. A clear component of his anger with Nora is about her lack of compassion for what he went through. And when he challenges her about giving Lily back, he is essentially saying she didn't make the choice out of compassion for Christine, as she would have people believe, but rather to retake ownership of her. Role as the victim. Similarly, we see John and Laurie running a business seemingly driven by compassion, but yet more likely motivated by a desire to assuage their personal guilt. Am I looking too deeply into the microscope or is there a clear theme being painted about compassion ultimately being what will bring Kevo and Nora back together?
0: Yeah. I think that, you know, Both Kevin and Nora are worthy of compassion. You know, both Kevin and Nora... Every human
1: being is worthy of compassion, Indeed,
0: indeed. And I I think that both of these characters, it's really easy to empathize with what they're going through right now. Kevin has been through an ordeal. He might be losing his mind. He might be unkillable. Like, there's a lot going on in Kevin's life, and he doesn't feel like he can share it with the person that he loves the most, like the person who is his person. Uh, Nora, meanwhile, as we've extensively covered, is going through her business. She's going... Going through her thing right now. And I think when there are two people who are so deep in their own stuff, in their own in their own emotional baggage I think that it's really hard to share compassion for the other person when you're that deep into it um, so right now I because you know I, I think it's absolutely right like Kevin is is right to feel wronged by Nora that she's not showing compassion towards him but it's not like he's being very compassionate toward her in that scene like he's really giving it to her there like he's really saying like you're you're just trying to victimize yourself like you're just trying to be the victim it's a harsh harsh thing that he's saying to her in this moment when he he says like you should go be with them uh is the final thing that he says to her before he walks out on her potentially forever very very dark stuff and i think when they are when they're in the in the cloud of their own tailspin like when they're in the thick of their own uh you know murkiness and their own grief it's very hard to see the other person's grief and i again time and distance, I think that they'll get there. Like, I think that they will be able to come to a place where they appreciate each other's respective pain a whole lot more. I do think that that's where we're driving towards. So, yeah, I think that compassion being the thing that brings Kevin and Nora back together is absolutely going to be part of the equation.
1: Yeah, this is not a – there's there's no – subtext for this in the episode, but that ending with Nora surrounded by water and this compassion discussion makes me think of one of the most meaningful things to me uh, that I've ever really read or listened to about compassion, which is a commencement speech by David Foster Wallace, uh, where the, the subtitle is Some Thoughts Delivered on a Significant Occasion About Living a Compassionate Life. And I highly recommend if you've got 20 minutes and you want uh, to think more about this, if you want to maybe think about the lens that you th- see the world through, check out that speech. It's on YouTube. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's really meaningful to me. A lot of times in my life where I struggle to have compassion uh, and where I'm in the Kevin Garvey role and I'm just putting it back in other people's faces, uh, this is something you can come back to. This is water. Nora is surrounded by that water at the end. Uh, she's got to find her own way through and, and accept her own reality Uh, And only in so doing can I think she really start to uh, find compassion for other people, put herself in other people's shoes. If Kevin had thought for a moment, like, I need to put myself in Nora's shoes, like, I need to see the world through her lens. Of course she sees herself as cursed. Who wouldn't? And yeah, that might be really tough. She's never going to be able to not have that be part of her. It isn't about completely changing. It's about finding a way to live with that. And I think the same thing could be true for Nora. Like, if Kevin has mental illness, don't be angry at him for it. Be compassionate about it. Don't handcuff him to the bed and treat him like a psychological patient in the early 1900s. Like, find a way to help with that instead of cause problems. And don't just... Ignore it like it wasn't there and like he's just over it. Like it doesn't work that way. So I think compassion is a key element of this. I don't know how that's going to play into the finale though. I'm not thinking that compassion is going to be what brings him back to go ahead. Tell me.
0: Uh, this is water, is what we're going to say when the floods come.
1: Don't talk to me about these floods. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't talk to me about these floods. Uh, Sorry, you're just an easy, uh,
0: easy person to trigger, Antonio. Sometimes they just got to go for it.
1: Yeah, dogs and floods apparently <laughs> are close kills me on the yeah. left of us. Who knew? Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I will see ultimately wh- where how that plays out. Uh, we just have a lot of uh, we had a lot of good feedback. Uh, we didn't get to uh, completely on this episode, but most, mostly, we got to most of it. And I would say the, the the biggest remaining questions, which we don't really have the ability to answer at this point, are. How do we get to where we are in the finale? Where do we go from here? Uh, what do we want that is a happy quote-unquote ending from this finale or not? And I just don't know ultimately uh, where we are, but we'll revisit those things after next week's episode, Josh. Uh, we'll be back Sunday night to recap that for sure, uh, and we'll be back next week with our feedback show. Uh, what what, are we, what other business do we need to attend to to wrap up here?
0: Uh, well, yeah, let's, let's put, up, put out those links again. PostShowRecaps.com slash feedback is your way to get your feedback into us as well as our email address leftovers at postshowrecaps.com. make sure that you send your feedback in after sunday night's episode whenever you want we haven't exactly locked down when we are going to record our feedback show next week but we'll let you know on sunday night after episode five which is called it's a matt 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 world that's gonna be fun we
1: love the matt episodes oh i thought that would that would for sure not be about matt
0: <laughs> <laughs> every single character is featured except for matt
1: yeah <laughs> no, that, I'm really looking forward to that, uh, because Matt is a, is a madman. And if he's coming into I'm this man. story with, yeah, I'm madman man with, uh, with Kevin in, in Australia and making a beeline for Australia, uh, Matt's plans almost never work out the way he wants them to. Uh, I have a feeling this could be. We saw him trying to get back into Jordan in season two and floods and the waters really came that time. Uh, we saw him running around America or, or running around Mapleton in season one. Uh, and he had a really difficult spot there. So I'm looking forward to his antics and his caper here. Uh, and we'll just see uh, we'll just see where this goes. So, yeah, please get your uh, – we we'll look forward to the engagement on this next week. Uh, Josh, we talked about Better Call Saul this week.
0: We did talk about Better Call Saul, which was really fun. Great episode of Better Call Saul uh, this past week. Rob was unable to co-host that with you, so I joined in. Uh, very fun to talk about the Breaking Bad universe with you. I thought we had a good conversation.
1: Yeah, if you're a fan of Better Call Saul and aren't listening to that podcast, check it out at Post Show Recaps, we cover those every week, usually myself and Rob Sesternino. this week myself and Josh Wiggler. So uh, we had a lot of fun with that. And looking forward to getting back to that show, looking forward to getting back to The Leftovers on Sunday night.
0: Alright, so if you have not done so already, please do subscribe to our podcast. PostShowRecaps.com slash Leftovers iTunes or PostShowRecaps.com slash Feed slash Leftovers are the ways to do that. Your honest reviews, your honest ratings, all of that is very helpful for us as we are trying to get searched and have people suddenly arrive at our podcast.
1: <laughs> can we use uh, hashtag holy balls for this episode, Josh? I don't
0: know. Oh, I don't know. I mean... Hey, let's
1: do it. Let's do it. What the uh, hell? You say no? Uh, Could I be any like, balls.
0: I feel like that probably exists already. Why are you being
1: so testy with me? I don't know. <laughs> I think it's because uh, you think I'm nuts. I get it.
0: Okay. All right. Okay. I think on that note, I'll just let you win here. Uh, all right. No, ha- do,
1: you have a, do you have an alternate suggestion? No, I didn't. I didn't have
0: anything. Way. I didn't have anything. I can say... <laughs> Get out of here. All right. The podcast is over. Goodbye, everybody. We'll see you on Sunday night. I don't know. Um, Antonio, hold on for one sec. I didn't realize my cat was in this room this entire time, and she's looking pretty desperate to leave. So let me, let me fix that. Give me, give me one sec. you yeah. yeah. yeah.